Well, as Mary Catherine mentioned, we are concluding our series today, Love Everyone Always. It's been a really impactful, important, really great series. If you missed any of the messages, go on the website and uh, take and listen to them. Um, but today, uh, we're covering to the ends of the earth and concluding our series uh, with one of our, our very own Kelly Minter that's going to be uh, speaking. We get to hear from Kelly on occasion here, but if, if you don't know Kelly, she is a, a nationally sought after and acclaimed uh, speaker and author and worship leader. Uh, her cult Cultivate events for women are, are really popular all around the country. She speaks in churches uh, to women all around the country. And yet, here she is giving of her time and her talents to her own local church. You see, she's a partner, our, our term for, uh, for member here at Rolling Hills. She's a partner of Rolling Hills. Uh, she also is a member of our board of directors at Rolling Hills and a member of the board of uh, JMI that you just heard as well. So it is a, a privilege for us to be able to hear from her. So even though she isn't a guest, would you give a warm welcome to our very own Kelly Minter? Thank you all so much. It was great to be here at Rolling Hills. I just want to let you guys know if you had a hard time uh, finding parking this morning, uh, there is space at that uh, 8, what is it, 8, Eric, 8, 8.30? I can't remember. I've been here since like 4 in the morning. So I, uh, but yeah, there's space earlier if you guys want to jump in there. But we are super excited to be here. And I am really grateful to have the opportunity to talk about um, mission and how it relates to love everyone always at the very end of this series and how Jesus has called us um, not just right where we are, but truly to the ends of the earth. And so um, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. So just a few verses, just four verses, Matthew 35 through 38, um, chapter 9, Matthew 9. So if you guys have your Bibles or devices, we'd love for you to turn to those. If this is one of your first time um, here and, and you don't have any of that, don't worry, we've got it up on the screen. And also, we just want to say thank you so much for being here. We are grateful that you are here and so thrilled that we can talk about Jesus' commission to his people out of this really special gospel. So I want to read our text this morning for us because we have a lot to do in a short amount of time. And so Matthew chapter 9, this is what Matthew says Beginning in verse 35, he says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to take that prayer seriously this morning, and I do want to ask you that you would send out workers. And I want to ask you, Lord, that we, as, as members of Rolling Hills Community Church and every person who is visiting here today, anybody who is a daughter or son of Jesus Christ, Lord, would you, would you send us out? Would you not allow us, don't even allow us to be on the sidelines because there is a huge harvest and it's desperate and it needs workers 
And so would you send us today? And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, mission, missions has really changed my life. Whether it's local mission or international mission, it's, it's totally changed my life. I would say that um, I was so privileged to grow up in a church. My parents founded a church. Um, 44 years ago, my dad is still pastoring that church, and they were always very missional. And I'm so thankful that here in Nashville, Tennessee, I can be part of a church that takes its mission very seriously, not just to the ends of the earth, but right here in our own neighborhoods. And, and I, I would, if I were to sit down with you and, and we were to talk about some really life-changing moments in my life, I would definitely point to mission. I would definitely point to some of the opportunities that I've had here and abroad as the life changers, as, as what has really inspired me, energized me, excited me. It's also been some of those things that have been the scariest, the hardest, the most sacrificial, but it's by far been the most exciting. And I have always loved this passage that I just read. I love it when Jesus says that the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few because it tells me that we don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker problem and we can solve the worker problem. It's hard to deal with the harvest problem. That would be harder. But if we just have a worker problem, well, we can do that by just obeying Jesus' call. So I get really excited about this text. Here's the thing though. I had never seen these few verses in context of the full of Matthew's gospel. I had never really understood where it sat. And I think that if we can go back a few chapters, we will really get this passage. Because when we just read that Jesus went around teaching in the synagogues, teaching people how to live, how to relate with one another, how to relate to God, as he began to teach, as he began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and as he began to heal people and to help people, when Matthew says that Jesus continued to do that in chapter 9, verse 36, he also says that in chapter 4, verses 23. He, he says in chapter 4, 23, in fact, I'm just going to read it. I want you to hear it. This is back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's almost identical to what we just read, but he says, now Jesus began. See, in chapter 9, he was continuing to. But in chapter 4, it says that Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among them. And there were crowds that were following him. And they were, they were primarily poor and hurting, broken down people. And so as Matthew is penning his gospel about Jesus Christ, he begins to tell us, he, it's very important because he's repeated it actually three times in his gospel, that there are three things that Jesus was about teaching people how to live in relation to one another and to God, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and helping them and healing them. Those were the three things that Jesus was all about. So Matthew states that in chapter 4, verse 23. But he doesn't just want to tell us what Jesus was about. He wants to show us what he was about, and he wants to show those things. And so if you were to read, you can do it today, Chapter 5, 6, and 7, you can like, if there's a break between Mark, uh, March Madness, Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is, is up on that sermon, and he begins to teach and proclaim. So Matthew is simply showing us what Jesus' mission looks like and ultimately what our mission is going to look like. So that takes up 5, 6, and 7. Sermon on the Mount, completely fascinating, utterly unbelievable. Jesus' way to live as a human on earth. 
But as Jesus is coming down the mountain, Matthew goes, oh, I, I don't want to forget. I, I've got to show them also how he helped people, how he healed people. And so as Jesus is coming off the mountain after giving the Sermon on the Mount, there is this leper that comes to him. And he says, Jesus, will you make me whole? Will you heal me of this disease? And at that time, it wasn't just a disease that you suffered with. It also excommunicated you from the Jewish community. You couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't offer your sacrifices. You could not draw near to God in that condition. And so when Jesus said, oh, absolutely, you better believe I'm going to heal you. This is what like, I came to do. This is my specialty. I am going to heal you of that disease. And now, now that you're whole, I want you to go and I want you to offer your gift in the temple. So it wasn't just a physical healing. It was also restoration for this man. Unbelievable. Then right as, as Jesus leaves that, there's a Roman centurion that comes to him, a Gentile, and says, Master, my, I've got this servant who's at home. He's paralyzed. He's, he's tortured. I need you to come to my house. And Jesus goes, I tell you what, you have such incredible faith. I don't even need to come to your house. I'm just going to say the word, and he's going to be healed. And by the time you get home, he's going to be good to go. How does that work for you? And then, then he goes home, and his servant is healed. Then Jesus gets a call that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes running over to her house and he lays his hand on her and he helps her and then her fever leaves her and, and uh, she, she's feeling better. This, I know what you're thinking. This sounds like some of your days, doesn't it? We're running. I mean, you might not be doing quite this extravagant of things, but right, we're running here and then we're running there and then we're running up this way. Well, then after that happens, the disciples get in the boat and Jesus in, in there with them and this huge storm raises up and Jesus calms that storm and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Look what he's able to do. Then he gets to the other side of the lake and there are two demon-possessed men and this is where it really doesn't look like our days and there are two demon-possessed men and Jesus casts out those demons, sends them into a herd of pigs and those pigs go flying down a hill and um, like crash, drown at the bottom. So I'm just hoping that Jesus isn't going to ever give me that mission, but this is one of the things that he did. And then the crowds, they tell him to, they, they need him to leave. It's too disruptive. So then he goes to the other side. And as soon as he gets to the other side of the lake, there are all these friends that have a friend who is paralyzed and they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I tell you what, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, that's not the problem. He, has, he's, he needs to be healed of, his, of being paralyzed. And Jesus says, yeah, well, I know what he came in here thinking he needed, and I'm going to help him with that too. But what he really needed is to be right with God, and I have the power on earth to forgive sins. So he heals the paralytic. And after that happens, um, Matthew tells his own story and says, and then I was just, I, all this is going on, and I'm, I'm a lousy like really base tax collector and I'm ripping people off and Jesus comes right by me and he asks me to dinner and so I go and I have dinner with him with a whole bunch of other really rotten, you know, scoundrel type people and that's what kind of exactly what he says and, and then Jesus talks about the fact that he came for people just like that and the scribes and the Pharisees can't begin to understand it and then he leaves that and right as he's teaching about the new thing that he's come to do, do you know that there is a leader that comes to him in the middle of all of that and he says, listen, my daughter just died. I need you to come to my house and I need you to raise her up. So as Jesus is making his way to her house, there is a woman that is also sick and she touches the hem of his garment and he feels power come out of him and she is healed. 
Then he gets to the house, raises the other girl from the dead. Then on the way home, two blind men are following after him, and they say, son of man, would you please heal me? Would you, would you open up our eyes so that we can see? And so then he heals them. And then there is a mute man that comes and says, I too need to be healed. And so Jesus casts out that demon, and then all of a sudden he's able to speak. And then we get to, and Jesus continued to teach and to preach and to heal. Do you see how much more impacting that passage of scripture is when you catch what Matthew, who was very strategic in his gospel writing, when you catch what he was doing, that he says Jesus was about these things, teaching people how to live, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and healing and helping people. Then Matthew shows you all of the highlights, everything that he can remember, and you're just tired even thinking about it. You're just tired even thinking about the ways that Jesus was pulled here and there and all the ways that he went. And you know what? He never got angry at the crowds. He never cursed the crowds. He never got impatient with the crowds. He saw them as people that he loved and people that he had compassion on. In fact, did you catch that? After he did all of these things in verse 35, the preaching and the healing and the teaching, Matthew says, I better tell everybody why. I better tell everybody why Jesus did the things that he did. And he says that when Jesus saw these crowds, what crowds? All those crowds. Everything that we just heard about. When he saw Peter's mother-in-law sick, when he saw the paralytic, when he heard about the Roman centurion soldier who was tormented, when he saw the people coming out of the tombs demon-possessed, when he saw the crowds, it says that he had compassion. He had compassion for them, but the problem is we only have that English word compassion, and it's a good word. I, I love the word compassion, I love that word. But the Greek word, the original Greek word, I, I wish Pastor Jeff was here because I'm sure he could pronounce it. I, I'm not gonna try to pronounce this, but I just want you, to, I want you to hear the spelling of this word. Okay, this is the word for compassion in Greek. S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. That's a powerful word. That's such a powerful word, I don't even know how to say it. This is like a guttural, like, is that an onomatopoeia? Is that what that is? When it like sounds like the word that it means? Is that anybody, has anybody had coffee this morning? I like, st I still haven't. I really need to fix that. Um, it's this guttural word, this word compassion. It is the seat of your emotions. Um, the, again, the Greek, it's the bowels. So we don't really think about that when we think of the word compassion, but that, I just want you to understand how powerful this word is. This is such a strong word that Jesus felt for all the people. All these people that were hurting and broken, the irreligious, the religious, the wealthy, the poor, those with no status, those with status. And I, I found this fascinating. Um, there was this one scholar, and he said that the, the orthodox religious leaders of the day viewed the common people as chaff to be burned. 
But Jesus viewed them as a harvest to be reaped. See, the ultra, super, holy, religious people of the day, all those people that were coming to Jesus, they looked at them as just chaff to be burned. But Jesus says, no, no, no. They, exactly they, they are the ones that I see as a harvest to be reaped. And so you've gotta have all these stories in mind before you get to Jesus' call because when he turns to the disciples, see this is key. It says that after he has this compassion for the crowds and after he's been with them for a long time and he's been working in their midst, he turns to the disciples. Think of how Matthew felt that day. He turns to them and he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready to go. The problem is we don't have the workers. So this is number one for us today. We don't have a harvest problem. If you're following along in your bulletin, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker shortage. We have workers on the sidelines. Have you ever thought to yourself, people just aren't interested in Jesus. People aren't interested in the kingdom. They're not interested in being healed or helped or, that's not true. That's not true. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. We don't have a problem, a harvest problem. In Franklin, Tennessee, or in Nashville, Tennessee, in Williamson County, Davidson County, wherever you're visiting from, wherever you live, there is not a harvest problem. You don't have to worry about there being a harvest problem. There's a worker problem. And there's so many of us that are standing on the sidelines. Now, this was a couple weeks ago, and I think it was like a Thursday night or something like that, and uh, I was uh, trying to find something to watch on television. And you know how that is. There's, there's, there's four million options and nothing to watch, right? And I was just flicking, flicking, flicking through, and you can just tell how utterly desperate I was because I landed on March of the Penguins 2. <laughs> Not just one. I mean, it's one thing to admit to March of the Penguins 1, but when you are admitting to March of the Penguins 2, that it's just not a lot of life going on here, okay? So it was a Thursday night, and I decide, okay, times are desperate, times are desperate. March of the Penguins 2 it is. So I'm watching this documentary on the Emperor Penguin, if you've never <laughs> seen it, it's fascinating. And I'm watching this whole documentary and I'm, it, I'm about an hour or so in and essentially it tracks a, a, a father and a mother and, and, and a baby. That's really kind of the, you kind of got the whole thing. And the, it is pretty interesting. The mother gives birth and then she hands off the little baby penguin to the father and the mother makes her march like some 70 miles to the ocean and then she gets fish and she stores up and then she comes home and she feeds the baby and then the father makes his trek to the ocean and he does the same thing, dives in the water and they can go like between 150 and 250 meters deep and if you watch you might not get that in one, you get that in two. They can go really deep. It's pretty amazing. And then they come back and they, they feed the, the baby. But it's, it's months and months and months before this penguin who is now about, the baby penguin who's now about this tall, he's never seen the ocean. He's never seen 
the place that he will spend half of his life. He has never conceived of water, of fish, of prey, of, of, of um, uh, swimming and twirling and jumping and diving. He's never conceived of it, and yet everything about him is made for it. And so the father and the mother, they're like, okay, it's time for you to just go, and they just, they peace out. And all of these penguins that are at the same age that have never seen the ocean, just by God's design, um, they are led to the ocean. It's like 70 miles away, and they, they, like, they do the penguin march, you know? And if you've never seen it, March of the Penguins too for you. And um, they go all the way to the ocean, and I'm, I'm still, like, I'm an hour and 15 minutes into this thing, and I'm, I'm sad that I have no life. And then finally, finally, this thing happens that just blows my mind. They all get up to the, they see the ocean for the first time. They don't even know what they're seeing. They can't believe it. They're making all these crazy noises. And they get up to the edge, and they just stand there. They don't know what to do. They're terrified of this ocean. They don't know what happens when they get in. They don't know what they're going to do when they get in. They don't know what swimming is. They don't know what their body is going to do, and they're petrified. And they all kind of just look around, and one scoots back, and then another one scoots up, and then another one scoots back, and they're just kind of standing in this huddle. And then the craziest thing happens. The sun sets. And then the next day, the sun rises, and they're all just standing there. And a whole day goes by, and the sun sets again. And it's this slow in the movie. <laughs> and then the sun rises, and they all just stand there. But they're getting hungry. The sun sets again, and the sun rises. And it's day three, and nobody has jumped in. Nobody has done the thing that they are created to do. And finally one, one lone penguin just goes for it. And it is not graceful. It is not pretty. I mean, he belly flops in. Then another one kind of slides in. Another one goes in backward. My favorite was that two kind of came up to the edge, but they weren't ready. But then the ice broke, and they slid in anyway. That's how I kind of got into the harvest field. It's like a kind of accidental, like just break in. And you got a little too close. And they're all splashing around, and they don't know what to do. And they're, but they're kind of having fun, and they, they think it's pretty amazing. And they're, you know, saying all this. And I know this because I studied penguin. And it was unbelievable, like, just to see all of this go on. And then I realized, Lord, now I know why I have no life. And I watched this movie because this is it. This is the Christian life right here. This is the problem. This is the harvest field. There's a huge ocean out there, but we are collectively standing here as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And we are just looking. And we are terrified to jump in and do what we are created to do. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to pray about jumping in. It is your call. It is what you are called to do. It, it should be the DNA of you. And I go back to Jesus' words that this harvest is huge. And we think sometimes of a harvest that's just like these nice, neat little rows and 
You get up and you have your coffee and you get a little basket. You walk through the garden, you pick a cucumber and then you pick a pepper and then you get a lemon. And if you're a farmer, you know it doesn't work like this. And, and it just seems all controlled. But Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not talking about that harvest field. I'm talking about everything that you just saw me do, guys. All the hurting people, all the people that their, their marriages are hard, they're, they're sick, they're in financial distress. There are, there are people that are really far away from here, like in the Amazon of Moldova, who have never heard the good news of the gospel. They need someone to go teach. They need someone to go proclaim. They need somebody to bring healing to them. But this is where Matthew's life changes. Because in chapter 423, when Jesus says, or when Matthew says that Jesus began to do all of these things, and then we see him do all of these things, and then Matthew repeats that, he's, he's bookending. And when he repeats it this second time that we just read in chapter 9, verse 36, all of a sudden, everything is pivoting. Everything is changing. Because Jesus looks at his own disciples and he goes, see everything that we've just done? See all the broken, hurting people that need hope, that need love, that need a touch? See it all? Guess what? I'm handing that to you. Guess what? That is now going to be your job. This is number two, Jesus' compassion, that strong word, remember that strong word, compassion. His compassion for hurting people led him to a solution and his church is the solution. His church is the solution. Do, do you know that you are plan A for this? That there are people in your neighborhood, in your kid's schoolroom, in your office space. There are people who need the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. There are people in Moldova, which I get to leave in about a week from Moldova. There are people in the Amazon jungle. There are people in South Africa who need healing and help and encouragement and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Jesus is, is gonna do it through us, but he's not doing it by himself. He gave that job to us. It's our job. And Jesus says, I need workers. I need laborers. And Matthew goes, I'll never forget. I'll never, ever forget as long as I live the day that Jesus turned to us. And if you were to read on to chapter 10, verse one, it says that Jesus summoned the disciples and then he commissioned them and then he sent them out. You guys, this is our job. Everything that's sandwiched between chapter four and chapter nine is what Jesus has called us to do. And there's no plan B, it's us. And once Jesus points that out, he says, therefore, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers, that he will send out workers. And that word send literally means like thrust out, practically like thrown. I, I, I couldn't help but just see the penguins. Like he's just chucking them into the ocean. You know, he's just thrusting them out there because this is where they belong and this is where the excitement of the Christian life is. 
And he goes, pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest will just send out people. Um, I remember being in the Amazon jungle. This was one of my very first trips to the Amazon. And you know that with Justice and Mercy International, we primarily work in the Amazon jungle and in Moldova. And I remember being in the Amazon years ago and I was there with my dad who's a pastor and we were talking to some other pastors and we had been there teaching and, and noticed that, notice that the, the commission that Jesus has given us is not just one commission. Yes, we're to share the gospel, but we're also to teach people how to live life on earth through the ways of Jesus Christ. And we're also to help heal and to, to give hope and to, and to help. That's all part of what it means to be a worker in the harvest field. And so I was in the Amazon and I'm talking to this pastor and we had been able to bring him some encouragement and JMI had been able to bring him some physical um, uh, like food and, and some things that were gonna really, really help him and we were teaching him. And at the end of our time together, he said something that I will never forget. It was so incredibly profound. And he said, you know what? My wife and I, we have been praying for years that God would send his angels here. But he sent his people instead. We've been praying for angels. And he looks at me, but he's like, but instead he sent you. And I'm like, this has got to be an enormous letdown. You've been praying for angels and it's me and my dad, sorry, here we are. But do you know why, do you know why God didn't send angels? Because he didn't commission angels to the harvest field. He commissioned workers. He commissioned us. He commissioned his church. And maybe you've been praying, oh, Lord, send Pastor Jeff to my neighbor. I pray that a lot. I love Jeff. Send Jeff just to all the people that, send, or send this super amazing holy prayer, or I hope, just send this, send this evangelist, or Lord, just send an angel, or do something. And the Lord goes, I've sent you. I'm sending you. What's so hard about this? And all he wants us to do is just jump in. Um, he wants us to be a worker and he wants to pray that we will be workers. That's number three. God's harvest field, it's so fulfilling. It is such a fulfilling place to live. Jesus commands us to be workers and to pray for workers. To be workers and to pray for workers. And I've been praying that this week, that God would send workers, that he would send his church, that he would send us into his harvest field. Um, you know that today is, we're really focusing on that ends of the earth piece and there's so much for us to do here, but God may be just nudging you toward a mission trip. He may be nudging you toward the Amazon or Moldova and we've got a booth out there and, and, and you can just belly flop in. You don't even have to know what you're doing. Um, maybe you're just so nervous that you're just gonna get up to the edge, find some people to get up to the edge with you and then maybe it'll just break and you'll fall in. It's perfect that way. But God has, he's, he's given us opportunity at this church, both locally and abroad, to love everyone always and to fulfill his great commission. So as we um, close this portion of the service today, thanks, Greg, um, you're gonna see footage of the Amazon and you're gonna, be, you're gonna see footage of Moldova. And I want you to, I don't even want you to ask the Lord if he's calling you to be part of the harvest field. 
because that's not even a question. He is calling you to be part of the harvest field. The question is just simply where and what. It's not a matter of if. If you're a Christ follower, you are plan A for this world. And so I want you to ask the Lord and pray for that. You know, there's a, um, a rabbi that said about this text, he said about the harvest field, he said, the day is short, the task is great, the wages are abundant, the master of the house is urgent, but the laborers are idle. And as I read that, I thought, what if, what if today across all of our campuses, across all of our services, if the saying could instead be that the day is short, the task is great, the wages are abundant, the master of the house is urgent, and the people of Rolling Hills community are in the game, that we're laborers, that we're workers. And I thought, what if over the next week, in two weeks, three weeks, if there were just splashes being heard all across our community. It was just like the Lord, like, oh, somebody, Bob just went in. Francis just went in over there. I mean, we just jump in and start doing the work. What would that look like?
ground yields the greatest hope. So let us work the fields till we leave for all. May we hear his voice. May he say, Thank you so much.